Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Unless you look beneath the surface, our economic and jobs markets seem to be both successfully treading water. Don't be lulled into a complacent attitude as riptides are all around us. Their strong forces can move away from safety really quickly this summer. Today, we'll give you a heads up on the new forces impacting our jobs and our recessionary economy. As China continues to return to pre-COVID production and growth, and the Russia-Ukraine war extends, we in the U.S. are feeling growing impacts that continue to fuel inflation and deepen our budget and trade deficits. Even though all seems routine, with the politicians gaming the government's debt ceiling with talks of default on U.S. debt, we pretty much all assume the two political parties will look into the financial abyss just before they approve new debt limits. It's interesting the really large owners of U.S. debt are not as calm as the daily media talking heads appear. For example, Credit default swaps on U.S. one-year credit, that is, the market-based gauge of risk of default, widened to 172 points a few days ago, an all-time high. According to S&P Global Market Intelligence, that is up from a close of 163 on Tuesday. So the 163 went to 172 by the end of last week. This roughly translates into a 4% likelihood that the U.S. will default on its debts. Yes, 4% is a low number, but it's a far cry from zero, which was the market expectation several months ago. The 4% is also near an historic high, which says a lot when we recall the many financial crises our country has been through over the past 245 or so years. Under the surface, there are some serious trends that are bound to surface this summer. One is the amount of interest the U.S. government, actually the U.S. taxpayer, will pay versus only a year or two ago. In 2021, the U.S. debt required taxpayers to pay $350 million in annual interest expense. That's about a 1.6% interest rate on the debt. In 2022, the weighted average of U.S. debt resulted in an approximate 2.1% interest rate. We are now several months away from the end of fiscal 2023, but considering our growing debt and higher interest rates, we will almost certainly be paying close to $1 trillion per year in interest expense on the national debt on an annual basis toward the end of this year or certainly during next year. That's an increase of over half a trillion dollars in government expenses in only two and a half to three years. Meanwhile, we continue to add to the deficit by spending $1 to $2 trillion more than our tax receipts as we ramp up spending on the Ukraine war, on Social Security, on Medicare, and the growing national defense costs. Some of you may say, why, why should I care about all this if it doesn't touch my day-to-day? Well, the fact is, it does impact your day-to-day for at least these reasons. First of all, the federal government is borrowing so much money every month to fund the new budget deficits and to fund new borrowing to refinance the old borrowings that the Federal Reserve cannot continue to implement their inflation-fighting moves. Either the Fed continues to remain as the largest buyer of government debt, or interest rates will continue to go up, up, and away because 
Others are very reluctant to buy the debt. Importantly, the companies we counted on for many years, mainly the Asian and oil countries, are no longer buying our national debt. They're actually sellers. Secondly, higher interest rates have also created a banking crisis and have caused large portfolio losses in thousands of our banks. Now, because of accounting, the banks are able to delay reporting these losses, but that's changing as the losses become deeper and the Wall Street banking analysts become more adept at getting the messages out that many banks are technically bankrupt. Thirdly, the commercial real estate bust in office buildings is another destruction of bank capital that will begin to push hundreds more of regional banks into crisis during the rest of this year. And finally, the economy is now starting to officially weaken and over the rest of this year will result in lower tax collections, higher unemployment, and growing negative financial market expectations. Read this as a change in so-called market psychology coming at us pretty rapidly. Now for some additional perspective on the commercial real estate crisis to help you imagine the impact dead ahead for the regional and medium-sized local banks that account for 70 to 80 percent of commercial real estate lending. Let's take New York. Things are so bad that 26 Empire State Buildings could fit into New York City's empty office spaces as occupancy in the city is hovering around 50, that's 5-0%, of pre-pandemic levels. And that's according to the chair of Harvard's economics department, Edward Glazer, and MIT's Carlo Ratti, R-A-T-T-I. The cause? Well, thanks to the pandemic, as we know, working from home has become the norm in many industries, a phenomenon which has impacted heavily also the mass transit systems in America's largest cities. So if you have friends or family or clients that are holding mass transit bonds, which have in the past been considered really safe, you might want to think about that. In downtowns from Chicago to Los Angeles, the physical layout of 20th century cities clashes with the new economy. Since the 1920s, single-use zoning has divided our cities into separate neighborhoods for home, work, and play. Work from home and Netflix have made these distinctions irrelevant, but our partitioned urban fabric is caught with this problem. And in particular, I'm talking about commercial real estate office vacancies. And the vacancies in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York City, just in the past, well, certainly since COVID, but actually through the recent several months, continued to climb. Word about return to the office is pretty much exaggerated word. In Los Angeles, the vacant office space is equivalent to 30 U.S. bank towers. Glazer and Ratty note that in 1980, Alan Toffler, a futurist at that time, argued that information technology would render urban environments more or less obsolete as workers would instead use residential electronic cottages. Well, we may redefine part of our home as an electronic cottage, or we may not. However, Toffler was certainly on the muddy, albeit 40 years early. This sudden shift was a major blow for New York. Many offices remain empty and the city lost more than 300,000 inhabitants from 2020 to 2021. No other American city experienced such a large numerical decline. Over the same period, Houston lost only 12,000 people, although the Global Commercial Real Estate Services company JLL reports that Houston's office vacancy rates are now even higher than New York. 
In San Francisco, the downtown area is experiencing its worst vacancy crisis on record, with 31% of space available for lease or sublease. In the heart of the city, an astounding 18.4 million square feet of real estate is available, enough space to house 92,000 employees and the equivalent of 13 Salesforce Towers. The San Francisco Chronicle mapped and charted every major downtown office building's vacancy using data provided by the real estate brokerage firm Lee & Associates. According to the report, some of the emptiest buildings are those vacated amid layoffs by tech giants Salesforce and Meta. The former Salesforce, which embraced remote work, has office space listed for lease at 50 Fremont in San Francisco, where 90% of their space is vacant. But this is a problem all through San Francisco. Slack, another example, a subsidiary of Salesforce, left its former headquarters at 500 Howard Street, 95.4% vacant. It's also listed space at 45 Fremont Street for sublease, which is currently 60% vacant. Meta, Meanwhile, as listed all 435 square feet of their 181 Fremont Street location for rent. And that's as the city's third largest tower sits 100% vacant. Landlords, meanwhile, need to offer more than just space, according to many people. And for the real estate investment trust firms that specialize in commercial real estate or large real estate development firms holding a lot of commercial office real estate, This is going to be a serious issue for their costs with their vacancy rates high, not being able to meet their debt service on many of their office locations. Michael Shivo is the owner of the Transamerica Pyramid. And to quote him, I strongly believe the office experience should be at the same level as luxury, residential, and hospitality. And Michael Shivo, owner of Transamerica Pyramid, is investing $250 million along those lines to renovate the Transamerica Pyramid landmark that's currently sitting 36.7% vacant. So the amount of new investments by these real estate owners is truly a double whammy with the lower vacancy rates and looking ahead at much higher investments to attract people into their spaces. He was quoted as saying, in the last two years, we've made our homes into our offices. Now it's time to make our offices feel like our homes, unquote. And whether or not that works and how well it works will be determined by the marketplace, but it results in any event of financially strapped real estate owners having to not only refinance in a very negative environment with higher interest rates, but also to be looking toward another round of major investments to update their properties. Let's move on. I'll introduce you to a jobs data provider, LinkUp, L-I-N-K, and then the word up. LinkUp tracks 250 million jobs and 60,000 companies. Here are some of their very recent trends, which demonstrates how fast we are heading toward a serious and official recessions. Job listings over the past month or so. Professional and technical services job listings are down 13.2%. Administrative and support services job listings down 8.6%. Manufacturing job listings down 8%. Financial and insurance jobs down 7.8%. Utilities, transportation, and even warehouse job listings down 6.9%. And the only jobs that are increasing are the lower paying jobs, importantly in recreation and retailing. So it may be true that the Bureau of Labor Statistics can report high 
employment, but that's false, as we've mentioned in prior podcasts. It may be they continue to report that, but importantly, the lower paying jobs are the jobs that we are tracking that are increasing. The higher paying jobs are not. Additionally, those temporarily employed are trending more and more to become more and more permanently employed. Furthermore, a state unemployment claims database shows that state unemployment claims are quickly rising toward the COVID peak, and they're about halfway there as of last month. Finally, University of Michigan surveys show expectations of higher unemployment are rising, and that's consistent with the New York Fed surveys that show the same thing. All in all, over the past month or so, early warning indicators are anticipating a deteriorating economy with increasing unemployment. And this is a problem for both part-time and full-time employees. Well, if you are still asking why should I care, I would say all of the above will fuel an official downturn, even though it won't be called for a year later by the Bureau of Economic Research, because they're always late in naming the beginning date of a recession. But all the following will fuel a downturn in today's time frame in business results, employment, and importantly, stock and real estate prices. Even with a quick return to monetary easing, which I do not expect, would be highly challenged to change these major trends that are getting entrenched. I fully get that watching the bond and stock markets since the first of the year has all the drama of watching paint dry. But don't get complacent as major changes in asset prices often happen really quickly. You likely know that stock prices fall much faster than they go up. Years of stock price increases are often erased in a short number of weeks or months when market psychology changes. We now have the ingredients for such a quick readjustment in asset prices, in my view. The stock market is simply not priced for a recession. Standard & Poor's earnings are expected to grow this year by 1.2%, driven by expected strong growth in the fourth quarter at 8.5%. And that sounds totally unrealistic at this point to me. During a recession, earnings should drop 20% or so. And that's what we're looking at over the next year or two. Adding into the no expectation of recession scenario, the forecasted earnings of the Standard & Poor's 500 result in a calculated price-earnings ratio now of around 18 to 1. That's very expensive, even if the earnings forecast would occur, which I don't think it will. The 12-month forward price-earnings ratio should not be more than 15 to 1 historically, given the slow economic growth predicted by the International Monetary Fund, among others now. Take a 20% drop in earnings compounded by a price-earnings ratio of even 16 to 1, and the stock market or the S&P 500 is likely to drop by 30 to 35% from where it is today. That gets my attention. Consider also that inflation expectations are now trending higher after several months of lower expectations. Inflation rates may not go back to the highs of several months ago, But the markets are starting to pick up on the likelihood that inflation has stopped declining. There's a real risk today that the bond and stock markets over the next month or two will, via the herd instinct, prepare for a longer unfriendly term of 3 to 5% CPI or official inflation readings for the balance of the year or higher. Frankly, the risk is real enough for me. I'm preparing some really negative and perhaps downward adjustments in bond and stock prices. So with that, I'd leave you with the thoughts. Don't be complacent. Be careful. Be really adverse to taking on new debt. 
and prepare for a period of higher inflation rates and very challenging stock and bond prices. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.